frazzled women. Welcome to La Vital Core Salon, the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and overscheduling addicts. Welcome. I am your host and salonier, Kara Snyder. And each episode, for those of you who are new, my job is to introduce you to modern women leaving their unique stains on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. And I know for you longtime listeners, you could probably recite that by now, but I want to make sure everyone's on the same page. And I also want everyone today to meet Kishaw Rogers. For over 23 years, she has been an active and awarded practitioner in the computer science and info technology space. She's been a business leader. She makes some waves down in the Virginia, D.C. area. And her constant focus has been to develop impactful and innovative solutions to big, gnarly, complex problems and business challenges. And she's going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. And she's also the founder of WebSmith, which is a brand that's been operating over 14 years. And she's partnered with organizations all over the world to make their software ideas real because she got her start as a programmer. And additionally, her leadership at WebSmith has contributed to the launch of startups such as Time Study, a health enterprise solution, and Big Thinking, a technology consulting agency offering these innovative solutions. I have no doubt that she is getting things done in a super productive and creative way based on our conversation, which you'll soon learn about. You can tell I was really excited in this interview. Admittedly, you're going to hear me get a little fangirl at the beginning, especially when Kishaw talked about making thinking sexy again. Critical thinking is something that just puts gas in my tank. So to hear that there's another woman really talking about bringing that back and bringing it into the forefront just had me all lit up. So apologies for being a little fangirl. Um, I I came back into my own skin and, and got a little bit cooler as we went along. But also, this is a great episode if you're someone who's ever felt like you are just on this treadmill and periodically in life just totally burn out. Kishaw is going to talk about what the grind, hustle, and push of her pace over the years led to, how she turned it around. And this is not like what you might think it's going to be, where it's like, yeah, I did exercise and self-care. She really goes into the weeds and shares a lot of questions that really worked for her to sort of break down burnout and reverse it. And she is so generous in in sharing that so that we all can learn some of the things that worked for her as we, and I know there's a lot of type A women and I'm kind of in recovery for being a type A woman, because what works for me may not work for you and what worked for Keisha may work for you or what I do work for you. But anyways, we have a whole big discussion and really get into some interesting space and talking about so many cool things, thinking about responsibility, thinking about when to quit, and more importantly, 
she opens up about how to quit, how to do it with some some style and some responsibility. Anyways, this is just a fantastic interview. Before I unleash the floodgates and release the interview, I want to take a moment and tell you about this wonderful birthday desire that I have and ask if you can help make it a reality for me. So I'm a March baby, a Pisces, water sign, passionate about a lot of things. Many of you listeners know that I am really passionate about collecting task lists. Specifically, I'm trying to collect 33,000 of them. And my hope is to collect all of these handwritten original task lists and transform them into an art installation that explores the idea of balancing obligation, those things we have to do and need to do, with desire. Those things we want to do and dream about and really excite us, but sometimes we just never get them on the list, so to speak. So back to this birthday wish. Now, some people want cake and candles and trips and maybe like all these like big, huge things. I would love your task lists to be sent to me. So my plan is to be celebrating while I'm at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas which is usually where I spend my birthday. Hopefully having dinner at the Elizabeth Street Cafe at least some point that week. What would be incredibly awesome is to come back from Austin and go to the post office and see it overflowing with your task lists. So if you want to know more, you can head over to the website, vitalcoursalon.com and click on the 33k task list project there's all sorts of frequently asked questions answered but the address you can mail it directly to me Kara, k-a-r-a and it's p.o box 453 in hurley new york and the zip code is 12443 and you can send them anonymously like if you don't want me to know it's your list or it's fine you don't even have to say happy birthday but it would be really really awesome when i come back to have the birthday present of a post office box chock full of to-do lists. Anyways, you know what to do. You will make my entire day. You'll probably make my entire month because it turns out collecting what I thought would be other women's trash is really, really difficult. And for those of you who are like, no, my task list is the most important thing ever. I see you bullet journalers. It's my birthday. And I'm going to beg. I'm not ashamed. If you could even just send one page from like a billion years ago that maybe you haven't looked at in like two years, you would make my day and you'd get to be part of this project and be connected in this really tenuous way to other women in the world. Anyways, I'm really rambly today. I had a black tea earlier and I, I think it's starting to show a little bit. So... Without any further ado, voila, meet Kishaw Rogers. Hello, Kishaw. Welcome to the Vital Core Salon. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm always so grateful when women who are busy, and I've seen 
a smidge of what you're up to from stalking you online. And so to get a couple of hours of your time is something that makes me so happy. So really, thank you from the start. Thank you. And thank you for acknowledging how busy women are. We are super busy. <laughs> yes, we are. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we but are. we make time for things that are important. And I think that this is important. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, Kishaw, you are the founder and CEO of WebSmith, Inc. For women listening that don't know about you and your work yet, maybe you can start by sharing what role you play in the computer science and infotech space. So one of the things that I tell people uh, when they ask, like, who am I? The first thing I tell them is that I'm the person most likely uh, to take the fun out of Lego building. Uh, I'm really... <laughs> thrive on order <laughs> or organization. So I'm that person, you know, if you pull out M&Ms, I'm going to put them in, you know, in, in order by color. And I do the same thing with Legos. And so that's who I am in my house. Uh, and so in work, uh, I'm the person that my clients call on to wrangle chaos and to make sense out of complex issues. And so I studied computer science, uh, you know, I've been in the industry for about 23, 24 years now, and I was attracted to it uh, because of the technology, but also because of some of the thinking principles. Uh, so I started my business. WebSmith was my first business. I started it in 2003, and it's a software engineering firm. And since then, it has evolved into so much more than technology. So in terms of what I'm doing in this space currently, I'm spending my time in three areas. Uh, one is uh, Big Thinking uh, is a project that is one of my passion projects. Uh, it's bigthinking.io. And the mission there is to make thinking se sexy again. So I have that on my Twitter uh, page that I'm on a mission to make thinking sexy again. And what I'm doing there is really bringing some thinking principles into the technology industry because I believe that some of the problems that we have in tech are because of the absence of good thought. Uh, also, time study. I, I have a tech startup that I started, uh, and that startup is a machine learning startup, and we're on a mission to eliminate timesheets uh, and to redefine the value of time. And I'm also uh, heavily involved in social good, tech for social good. Uh, so I serve on a few boards. I'm on the board of a company called Think of Us, uh, they're a tech nonprofit, and they're on a mission to use technology to improve the lives of foster youth. Uh, and through that organization, we were able to highlight some of the challenges uh, with uh, people that are impacted by foster care uh, by hosting the first uh, hackathon at the White House for foster youth. Uh, we did that in 2000, a year and a half ago, and it was really successful in starting a real mission around child welfare. So I spent some of my time there. Also, I'm involved in uh, WOW Foundation as a global organization that is committed to training African women and girls in STEM. And we just recently launched uh, She Hacks Africa, uh, which is a programming camp for African girls. And that's currently being offered in over three countries. So I'm spending my time really honestly trying to take technology to a different level and to make it more people-centered uh, and less machine-centered. Uh, and so that's what my work is about. That's what it's been about uh, over the last 23 years. Um, but I started as a programmer. Uh, and who I am at my core is a person that really wants to wrangle complexity uh, and tackle some of the more complex challenges that we have. Oh, my God. I feel like my face has melted and my heart <laughs> is like glowing. <laughs> so 
so that's, much. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> it is a wonderful thing. <laughs> if if I was a puppy, my tail would be wagging because you said so many things that, not to sound totally woo-woo here, make me, like, vibrate in all the good ways. Like, <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, from the moment you said, I'm the person who takes the fun out of Legos, for years <laughs> when I was working, because I got my start in trouble, debt, restructuring, and bankruptcy, and then... I downshifted to get rid of some of the travel and the hostility into being the controller of several early stage startups. So I think I I know I used to say that sometimes I was the fun killer. Like I'd go to a meeting and it like immediately could puncture anything fun. You know, they had to be they had to be careful to invite me like to brainstorming things and stuff like that or really set the expectations like, no, ideas can be awful right now. Don't make yeah, this yeah, realistic. Like, hey, we should be thinking about something else. Yeah, yeah. That I'm that person as well. And I, I used to hate it. I hated being that person. I used to tell my husband, like, I think I'm a dream killer, and I don't like being that person. But I like focusing on the things outside of like the thing you're focusing on. Uh, that's why I talk a lot about systems thinking uh, because that focuses on complex systems and it focuses on the interactions of things with other things. And I tend to be focusing there, like, you know, based on what we're doing, how does this impact the thing that's adjacent to the thing? So I'm the person in the meeting, like, well, how does this impact this other thing that we said we were going to do? And I'm, and people are like, oh, God, here she goes again with this. <laughs> Let's focus on this thing we want to do. We don't want to talk about that thing. <laughs> I have to laugh because as I've segued in my career and started doing more health and lifestyle strategy work. So bringing like a lot of those same skills that you and I are talking about to this work, I realized in, you know, getting closer and closer to a decade of doing this work that like you just described, I'm working in that interstitial space. Like women have personal goals and they have professional goals And then there's all this self-care that we need to be doing to make sure that we have the energy and the the focus, both physically and emotionally, to get those things done. But if if stuff doesn't flow correctly between those things, like they're nothing's gonna like no one's gonna win and you're all you're gonna do is achieve burnout. So I exactly I love what you're talking about here. I wanna ask a clarifying question though, and because I love robots, and Mm -hmm. I really do kind of dig technology. What did you mean by machine learning? So machine learning, uh, in regards to uh, my time study startup, we're using the data that machines collect uh, to learn more about how people spend their time. Uh, And so just to give you like a quick use case, uh, one of the projects that we managed at my company, WebSmith, for like 14 years, we managed this project. And it was basically a timesheet project. You know, a company hired us to build a uh, to use our timesheet reporting app. And I realized how much time and effort companies spend just trying to figure out how their employees spend their time. And employees are like reporting time on timesheets and none of it is accurate. And everyone knows that when you complete a timesheet, like it's the best guess, you know, like depending on how the day went, you're like, I don't know what the hell I did yesterday, but here, I think this is what I did. And so we created, um, I launched Time Study because I want to reimagine, number one, why do companies need to know uh, how you spend your time? What do they need to know about your time? And where can we uh, glean that information from other sources? So we're using machine learning uh, technologies uh, to sort of 
determine how you spend your time based on like your calendar, for example, or based on the people you correspond with on email. Uh, And there are a lot of things that you do throughout the day that would give a person a more accurate picture of how you spend time. Uh, And it's much more accurate than asking and shoving a sheet of paper in your face and saying, hey, write down the total number of hours that you spent on this and that activity over the last two weeks. It's never correct. it's never correct. And and then they take that information and, and make decisions with it. So uh, we're using uh, technology to really, number one, to release people from the burden of having to recall how they spent their time so that they can be more in the moment with what they're doing and not worrying about taking, you know, notes on, OK, I've been, 0.5 hours doing this and 2.5 doing this other thing. They can just be, um, but also to give companies more accurate information about how time is actually spent. Um, and so that's machine learning is the technology that we use to do that. Amazing. So yep. it's yep. what I'm hearing is it's sort of, it's scraping email. It's scraping applications that you're opening and closing during the day. And like literally yeah, it's observing just get to be. Exactly. So the machine is literally learning how you spend your time. Uh, so we're using that technology just to to have a computer learn it. Uh, the big challenge is, you know, with machines, there's a whole privacy issue. So our big challenge is doing that in a way that does not expose someone or make them vulnerable uh, to being hacked or even that would give someone else that they don't want to know uh, how they spend their time that would protect that information. So that's, you know, that's our job in technology is to prevent that thing from happening. Um, but to use the technology really to make a difference in that space. And it's a pretty big difference. Um, companies lose millions of dollars a day on just managing timesheets. So uh, that's, you know, that's what we're using machine learning for. I'm really excited about that project. It's an example of, you know, we talked about burnout briefly. Um, That's one of the projects that, you know, I started that project in 2003 and, you know, I just burned out on it, just got tired of doing it. And I think a lot of us spend a lot of time just on autopilot, just doing the thing that we've been doing and just being really unhappy with it, but not having the capacity to make a shift And I've had an opportunity to take a step back and look at my work and figure out, you know, is this a thing that I want to continue to do or is is there a different thing that I can do with this? So you could pivot ideas, uh, you can reimagine them or you can just quit, you know. (laughs) So those are usually our choices, like just quit doing it or reimagine it, make it something different and reconnect it to it in a different way. And so that's what time study is, is me reconnecting to an old project in a different way. I have to laugh on a personal level because here it is, we're recording in January. And, you know, for me, I'm balancing the consulting work I do with clients. I'm balancing this podcast. And then the other little project that fills up my time is the 33K task list project where I'm on a mission to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women. I love that. That makes me me so happy, things like that. I love that. I was like, it's sort of analysis and and data collection, but like in a way that I hopefully make art out of, like the end game is, can I use these lists to physically do an art installation and kind of look at how we juggle obligation versus desire? But Oh, I love that. Of course, there's, you know, because I was a CPA for so many years and lover of data and analysis, you know, even on a really like non-scientific level, there's data collection happening. 
Yes, all day. I mean, if you collect post-it notes, like the things we write on post-its and are hilarious, are hilarious. (laughs) Like, and I had a pile of them, like in a desk drawer, and I just kind of sifted through them. I'm like, good grief! Like these to-do lists. It tells you a lot about the state of the mind of the person (laughs) that did the post-it note. And sometimes we're just doing these things in the car, you know, just you know, whenever the thought pops into your head. Absolutely. But it's funny because like juggling these roles, and I I think you'll be, you can relate to that because you're juggling different roles and responsibilities. I decided like things were just feeling like I, I lost track of like how much time am I spending here and there and like how much time are things really? So I just started tracking my hours again and it is yeah. an enormous pain in the butt, but I feel like if I take a couple of months and just try not to tweak what I'm doing too much and just kind of get a look at, all right, how do I need to shift my time and what kind of decisions do I need to to make? It's yeah, so important, yeah. right? Because you do get stuck on autopilot sometimes. Like, okay, this task needs to get done again. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing that I do, so I should keep doing it. Yeah, you get stuck with that. Um, it, it's not only just like a... Um, it's like almost like a habit, a thing that you do, but it's also an expectation, I think, uh, that we get caught into this expectation that we have to do certain things. So like if you work in tech that, you know, everything you work on has to be related to tech uh, and you can't, <laughs> it kind of gets you in a rut because when you think of new things to do, you, you're trying to center everything around this expectation. And that's one of the things that I've been really excited to have conversations with people that understand that sometimes the the solution to things doesn't involve technology. And it's like a curse word to say that in a room full of people that are in tech. They look at you like you're crazy. Like, well, how could it not be related? Like technology is the thing. And like some of the things that I'm doing are not at all related to technology. It's really about people and their mindset and how that impacts our work, whether it's tech or whatever, you know, whatever work that you're doing. Uh, but, it's, you know, the mindset is really interesting because some of the things we do, I think we just do them because we're expected to do them. Yes. Or we feel that we're expected to do them. Yeah. I agree. It, it yeah. gets really easy to fall into that. And it's, I imagine, yeah. especially on a team, because not only then are you at the mercy of your own internal expectations, which I think of myself as a type A woman kind of in recovery. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not so like at war and aggressive with myself <laughs> and my schedule anymore. Yeah. But I think like there is that, that idea, like, I mean, let's face it. And it, women like you and I who are, who are out in the world trying to make things happen and create things from nothing in a lot of ways, it's, it's a lot. And we often have really high internal expectations of ourselves. I'm speaking for you here, but I'm guessing I'm probably yeah. right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. then on a really team, high. and then on a team, like you're also at the mercy of everybody else's inflated expectations, <laughs> too, right? <laughs> Yeah. And it's it's like, a, and it's, I think on one hand, it's okay to sort of raise the bar because, you know, and some, with some people, uh, you know, no one sets a bar for them. So having like the ability to set your own bar and raise it is good. But, you know, that whole internal dialogue where you're like being so aggressive with yourself when you're not meeting this like expectation that you've taken on is dangerous. And I I think that it leads to burnout and a host of other issues. Um, But it says a lot about how we think about work 
And I think in some ways, I think we develop that sort of um, I need to raise the bar as sort of an instinct for survival. Like if, if you're not like performing at the highest level, doing the biggest, the best, the most thing that somehow you're losing at life. And I really think we've lost the ability to see some of the nuance and, and some of the good things that we can do uh, without being so uh uh, aggressive with ourselves. And that's something that I've had to learn. I realized that, you know, I had this, uh, I have this, like, like I hate mediocrity to a degree that <laughs> any, it, you know, using the word, someone used the word uh, average with me one time. They said, you need to just learn how to embrace your mediocrity. And at the, when they said it, like my knee jerk internal reaction was, are you calling me average? Like, you know, what kind of, did you, what did you just say to me? And I, I had this conversation in my head, like, does this person think that I'm average? Because all I do all day is try not to be average. Like, you know, it's such a dangerous thing. I don't want to be an average person because for me, that means that, you know, I'm at the whim of, you know, a society that isn't always as kind to people like me. And I'm trying to be exceptional because I want to protect myself from th- from things that average people feel. And I think over time, we really learn about our relationship with that kind of vulnerability. Um, I learned to be way more kind with myself. I give, you know, I'm, I'm not like a slacker now, but I do give myself the license to play and to make mistakes and sometimes to make them publicly. Uh, because I think that, you know, burnout is a real thing. And I think to some degree, a lot of people are experiencing it because of that behavior. I agree. And mm-hmm. that's coming from, and granted, my N or my sample size is very small in the, the scope of society at large. But the women that I'm talking to, there is so much burnout and there's so much like shame for even admitting we're burnt out. I know. It's, it's like, it's like layer. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a challenge, <laughs> wrapped in an obstacle. Because it's like we yeah. can't even we're burning out, but we're trying to like cover our tracks burning out, which is making us burn out even more. <laughs> Trying to burn out in private. Yeah. Can I burn out in peace? <laughs> it's, you know, I think of it sometimes like the spark that shoots out of like a, like a, you know, campfire or like a fireplace. And it's like, it's got that like glow for like the top uh-huh. part of its like trajectory. And then it just like gets <laughs> cold and dark. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes that's the trajectory, especially for the, you know, the, the curse of being a type A woman, right? Like, yeah, I know I've experienced burnout. It sounds like you have too. What's, oh, yeah. if you don't yeah. mind sharing, what's been your experience? How did you revive yourself and come back? Yeah. So burnout for me is almost like a, um, I burn out on a cycle. <laughs> so I'm old, <laughs> like I'm 45. I just turned 45 years old uh, last year. I'll be 46 uh, this summer. And I realized that I kind of burn out on a five to seven year cycle. Uh, that's how I realized how how aggressive I was being with myself, like really pushing myself. And every five to seven years, I'll just like crash and burn. Um, I started when I started my business. I started it because I was extremely burned out. I was working for a um, corporation. I was living in the D.C. area at the time and working for a corporation and running one of their um, software uh, engineering departments. And 
I had, I was doing so much work. I, I was programming an enterprise, like three, I think we had three enterprise software development projects happening at the same time. I was doing a lot of that coding plus managing my small team. I was pregnant uh, with my daughter. Uh, we had just moved to a new area. Like there was a lot going on in my Whoa. life. And <laughs> when I left that job, I remember my, my termination, my resignation notice was that my last day was going to be, I gave him like a three month notice and told him that my last day would be on June 30th, which happens to be my birthday. And I started my company on July 1. Um, and so I left there, I was 30 pounds overweight. Uh, I had uh, I had never had a cavity in my life, but during that one year I'd had four root canals uh, and I had all types of dental issues from grinding my teeth at night. I had shingles. I actually oh got shingles gosh. that year. Shingles, that's for old people. So I remember going to the doctor and the, and the physician was like, I think this is shingles. Now, keep in mind, I was like 30, maybe 29, 30 years old at the time. And I had really pushed myself in my 20s. And, you know, when the physician told me that it was shingles, I just kind of looked at him like this, this, this crackpot. This is this could not be shingles. I actually had shingles. Um, I had so many health issues, insomnia. And I started my company as a way to escape. Uh, because I was just struggling so much with doing so much work. And I had taken on this sort of superhero uh, thing that, you know, and even my, you know, my coworkers and my boss, they were like, you're great at that. Oh, my God, you're the best. And I would just like take it in. Like, you know, it was like comfort food to me. People were like, you're the best person ever. And I would go to work and they would tell me that. And I would keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And I just hit a wall. I could not keep it up. And I felt bad about it. So I started a job. I started this business, but it turned into a job. So the first five years of my business was like, I was my own boss. And it was as if I was pushing myself in the same way that the last boss was pushing. And I realized, you know, I started this company, it was like an escape plan. It wasn't I didn't have a vision to like do anything other than what I was already doing. I just didn't want to do it for the same people. Uh, because I felt like in that environment, I was being hurt. And so I wanted to just kind of go off and do my own thing. And what I learned over the years in business is that you really have to connect to your why. I didn't have a why when I started my company. And I learned when I tried to scale the company, it became really clear that I did not have a why. And it was clear to me because, you know, any people, we had people calling us to do all types of work. And, you know, people would call and say, do you guys do this service? If it was related to technology, I would be like, sure, of course we do. <laughs> and I would go hire someone to do it. And at some point, I didn't even recognize the company because we were doing like software development. We were doing web development. We were doing like, you know, we were doing anything, you know, whatever was related to technology. And I learned to step back and really sort of connect with myself and determine what is it that I want to do. So I like being 45 because I've, I have enough experience and historical perspective <laughs> to really know what it is I want to do. Uh, so that's the beauty about like being old is that over time you kind of develop a good sense for where, where you need to be. Uh, and so I'm really super excited about this time in my life because with burnout, for me, it was more of a going away, stepping away. Uh, stepping back from the situation, leaving the situation. Over time, I learned that uh, you you can't just step back and leave the situation. You have to really sit and figure out how you got in that situation and make adjustments. Otherwise, you get into this cycle. Like I said, I had a five to seven year burnout cycle. It would happen every five to seven years. Uh, and I think I finally kind of got to the point where I can uh, stop it before it happens. I have so many questions for you right now. 
<laughs> and taking all I'm this sorry, in. That was a rant. I feel really strongly no. about burnout. <laughs> I'm glad you do because I do too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. my I think my why as I do this work more and more is I would love to put myself out of a job. Like I would love for there to be a world where women aren't burning out and someone like me isn't needed. And yes. women don't have to hide in the corners or like discreetly call me like none of my clients not none most of my clients don't talk about the fact that they've worked with me so it's like I think last year five of my clients you know I usually ask questions at the end of the process and ask them for feedback and several of them referred to me as their secret weapon and I was like I don't need to be a secret like it's okay for us women to need support for a few months it's okay it's a part that's what keeps you from burning out honestly support like isolation is the enemy um you know a lot of people don't understand that being isolated and kind of being in your own world is actually very dangerous to not have people around that can see you as like you know i'm the person that takes the fun out of lego building so the people that i surround myself with they see me as that person not as the ceo of anything um so they see me as a person and they can see when I'm like doing too much and to have people around that's like, you know, I think you need to take a break. Let's go hang out for a while and do some other things. <laughs> <laughs> you may need a bit of a break. And, you know, and people just, you know, people are we're so isolated in a lot of ways. Yes. I mean, yeah. even when we go to an office, I think just the state of technology and how people are interconnecting that that fabric of real-time human connection in person is sort of unraveling or getting a little kinked somehow or maybe tearing a hole i don't know what the right i don't know what the right metaphor is there (laughs) i think unraveling i mean the real the the connection i think is is difficult so online you know i have this love-hate relationship with social media i love it um because i've met some really cool people uh, just through social media. One of the things that I do, I, I'm intentional about doing lately is when I meet someone that I find to be really cool is I take that relationship out of that environment. And so even if it's an email thing, Google Hangout, meet for coffee, meet up at a conference, I try to take it off of Twitter or Facebook to make it more real because I think that what social media has done has done is it gives us like a slice of a person's life and we really don't know each other very well and you can actually go to work with someone every day and not know them uh because people come to work they bring their work selves to work yeah uh, and then they leave i've worked with people that have you know been in bands and i find i'm like you're in a band you play an instrument <laughs> you know you know people that speak like 10 languages and you know people have a lot of things going on in their life and they don't bring it to their work and i actually think the work suffers when you don't bring your whole self to work and you know people tend to think that that's something that only people that have the luxury to to think about these things can do uh people like oprah and folks like that they get to live their best <laughs> life uh but people like us like we got to go to work and work like a dog and then go home and do a whole thing and find like 5 minutes out of the day to like think about yourself like that's that's the life that we've constructed for most people that's most people's lives like if I can get 10 minutes at the end of the day I'm great you know and like my mission is to really rethink life and figure out how can how can you feed yourself and your family but really put your whole self into your work so we can enjoy life a lot more but also do better work 
Yes. And I'm I'm yeah. laughing with your five minute analogy because I think about <laughs> I just had a conversation with a, a potential new client recently and they were like, well, how complicated is working with you? And I was like two 50 minute sessions a month. So it's like, you know, like <laughs> I hear that yeah. and I laugh and I'm like, no wonder I'm having such a hard time, like trying to yeah. pin women down for like a hundred minutes a month to focus on <laughs> like being awesome. whole minutes. Yeah. <laughs> People, we just don't have the time. We're on this treadmill, and somehow we have to find a way to get off. But I think having a tribe, like you were you were talking about, support and having people like a tribe of people, I think that's what gives you sort of more time to really think about yourself. You know, within the context of people that you connect well with, um, I honestly think we need to spend more time with each other and less time, you know, alone thinking about our master plan for world domination. <laughs> Everyone's like in the lab trying to take over the world. I'm, oh my God, I love it. I love it. I love everything about that whole phrase. Like if you go on Twitter, it's hysterical to watch. I don't know about your feed, but you know, my feed is is filled with people that are just have this master plan to like take over the world. And I think at some point that becomes the thing that you are pushing for as opposed to something that really matters. And it just breeds so much like anxiety or shame if you don't, you know, achieve world domination. And <laughs> it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, the comparison trap gets really gnarly really quickly. <laughs> really quickly. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so I think we need more humanity, more humanness um, in the space and to see people just, you know, really trying to do uh, really good work with with the resources that they have available to them. Um, and, you know, and trying to make that better is great. I think we all need to push uh, for more equality. Uh, that is definitely something that we need to do. But I think we cannot uh, take that on as like, you know, to some degree, I think we take responsibility for things that we did not create this environment. And a lot of us create, you know, I used to like resent the fact every time I would see a, a business get funded, I would hate it because I bootstrapped my company. And I'm like, I want to get funded. Like I bootstrapped <laughs> my company. I had to go through this whole damn thing and I'm doing great. You know, and I would like look at people like get funded and I would just hate watching that happen. And at some point I'm like, you know what? I can talk about the the inequalities and the startup space and, and uh, VC and, 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 and angel funding. But I can also still take a look at the resources and the great people that I have around me and try to make a difference with what I have. And I've been really proud that I've been able to figure that out um, because I would hate to spend any like years being resentful over something that I have absolutely no control over. And that's an important distinction there because I think yeah. so many people fuss and freak out about things that are so outside of their control. Yeah, it's just it's it's it, at some point you have to say, you know what, I can make a difference by shining a light on something that impacts me and I can bring together other people that, you know, are also trying to shine a light on this thing. But I can't go to bed angry uh, at the world because I'm you know, because this impacts me. I have to figure out a way to be happy 
Uh, and it sounds like a simple thing to do, but for some people, that is the thing that escapes Au them. <laughs> and I, I realized that with my life, like waking up and feeling like waking up like, oh, God, I have to do this. I have to do this other thing and having like a really good day and it being like a surprise. Like that was a good day today. You know, I feel happy. <laughs> it's like, what is that about? And I, I think some people just, you know, no one ever teaches you how to be happy. And depending on like how you were raised and how you grew up, you may be the kind of person that have never seen anyone be happy. Uh, and so for some people, they just don't know how to be happy. All they know how to do is grind and hustle and push. And I think we need to to, to provide more um, uh, more examples of people that are happy uh, doing what they're doing in different ways. Kishaw, what helped you make that leap from the mindset of, just grinding, hustling, pushing, I have to do this, I need to do this, to... Burnout. All right. So so talk to me about this, because I think, like, I think you're a person who's so going to be able to articulate this. Almost, I'm, I'm, again, predicting something that I may be totally wrong, and you can correct me for certain, but you're someone who thinks in terms of process and steps and things like that. So... I'm hearing the nexus was the burnout. I'm guessing, you know, shingles to me when you said it, all I could think was she's aging and like fast forward. It's like Obama, like when he started (laughs) in office, like, and he was total black hair and then maybe a couple grays and then left office eight years later looking two decades older. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Jesus, like, you know, thankfully for him, he started off looking kind of great. So it's like, okay, so you have to like go completely like. He's not decrepit, but, you know, he was notably older, uh, gray hair, the ring, you know, everything, the, the frown lines. Uh, for me, it was it burnout was the trigger and, and really sort of seeing myself burn out uh, on a, you know, on a schedule. I would notice me burning out. But also uh, at some point, uh, particularly like um, in the mid, like I've been in, in business for myself for uh, 14 years now. And at some point around the five or seven year mark, I realized that I was grinding so much. I, I kind of, you know, felt like it would be great to talk to someone about like what I'm going through. And I realized like I'd lost contact with my friends. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, where, where are my friends? I did have friends at one point, but I had been in this like in this zone, like for so long. And, you know, the world was kind of telling me I was in the right place. So I was getting awards, you know, I've gotten a few business awards. uh, And, you know, it's like validation, like you're doing a good thing, you're in the right place. And I would keep pushing and pushing. And I woke up one day and I remember it was, uh, I won't say the award, I have a bunch of them there at the office. And I actually relocated them because they were like in the center of my office. It was the thing that made me feel like I was doing this for a good reason. But I remember one award I was getting and that day it was a miserable day for me. I was just generally unhappy. And I was thinking to myself, why are you unhappy? Like you're about to be the, you know, awarded the blah, 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 the whatever. And this just happened. That was great at work. And all of the things that I thought I should be happy about were work related uh, accomplishments. And I realized I had lost like a spark about life. And my, one of my siblings told me that one day, he's like, you know, you used to have a spark. You lost your spark. He just kind of said it in passion. 
to me. And just the casual, like, the like you, you dropped your spark yeah. somewhere. <laughs> it was like that average comment. Like I thought, what the hell is he trying to say about me? He was like, yeah, you used to have a spark. <laughs> and I realized that I'd really lost my spark. Like I'd become like this caricature of a businesswoman, what I thought a businesswoman should be. And that grind and that hustle was was less about the work that I was doing and more about needing people to validate me. And so I spent a lot of time doing self-work, really working on myself, traveling, doing various activities. I surround myself with very positive people and just trying to reconnect to who I am. That's why I know I'm the person that takes the fun out of Lego building, because I've really immersed myself more fully in my life. My kids notice it. My husband notices it. And it's because I think this culturally is really difficult for us not to get consumed by work, because a lot of the uh, the awards uh, are about work. There's the top this of this, the, the next big thing of this. And everyone wants to be that thing. And I feel that it's been uh, the catalyst for burnout. And I think a lot of people are burning out because they're pushing for a goal that is nothing more than I just want to be happy. I just want someone to make me feel good. Like, I really think everyone is just like working so that they can feel happy. I just want to be happy. Maybe this will make me happy. And so burnout was the catalyst. And what I've done is I've restructured my life um, completely in terms of my priorities. Like my priorities are super clear. Um, I started to look um, because with burnout for me, it always starts with weight gain. Because uh, I'm a comfort eater. So, you know, I eat through the pain. So it starts with weight gain, insomnia. Like, I can see it coming. I'm like, oh, God, this sweater is kind of tight. Here we go. Like, <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> There's dark circles I'm under tired. my eyes, and suddenly I have a pot belly in this sweater. <laughs> Yeah. And like, oh, God. So here we go. And, you know, some people is weight loss. Like I have a girlfriend that she'll, she'll like drop pounds. And I'm like, God, I wish I had that. I don't have that. I have the opposite thing. But the um, like I last year, I took what I call a working sabbatical uh, because I really wanted to lean into this this concept. And I spent my entire year uh, just moving around, like traveling the globe, leaning into like opportunities to to help people. Uh, doing the things that I felt compelled to do when I wake up. Um, I've been fortunate in that I'm able to do that. Uh, So I've been, I've worked hard enough (laughs) over the years that I was able to take a step back. I had to do work. I'm not independently wealthy. So I still had to do some work, but I only worked when I needed to. Uh, I responded to what I needed to respond to. And I, I made myself not do anything new like any new business, any create anything new, brand new, um, because I wanted to give myself a chance to really think. Uh, and I felt like I just didn't have, I hadn't given myself the space to think. And that actually really helped me just kind of getting off the treadmill uh, and just relaxing a bit, spending more time with people that don't care what I do for a living. Um, and it has been the best thing for me, honestly, because now I feel more passionate than ever about my work. There is so much goodness in what you just said. And again, my question, I mean, my brain is like firing on all cylinders with like questions flying around in there. I I really appreciate you for sharing this and, and talking about it and also just kind of being really realistic. Like I'm not independently wealthy. Like I had to do this in a way that balanced with like also getting the bills paid and being a responsible you know, Being CEO, <laughs> like yeah, the, the idea that you can adult 
and be responsible for self-care all at the same time. Like, these two things don't have to be independent of each other. And that's something I, I feel like some of my clients in the initial sessions we have would probably glaze over if I said that. Yeah, people, it's just because of that expectation. It's yeah. just like, oh, yep, that, 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 oh God, I couldn't do that. I, I felt bad initially, honestly. I um, So, you know, I'm responsible for people's paychecks. Um, uh, w- the things that I did was I, I redefined the projects that I was working on and I made sure that the people that supported me on those projects were taken care of. So that was my responsibility to make sure that they got paid on time and that they had the resources that they need to do their work and that I was available when they had questions. So that was the first thing that I did was to really define what are my responsibilities and how am I going to make sure I'm taking care of these while I'm doing my burnout, like my burnout recovery thing requires that I step back. And people know that I didn't announce it either, you know, because I didn't want to make it another thing to measure. So I didn't want to announce it. Hey, guys, I'm going to do this thing. And I didn't want it to be a project. I didn't want to talk about blogging about it. I just did it. I just stepped back. And people noticed, you know, I didn't go into the office a lot. And I think a lot of people noticed, like, she's just not coming into the office a lot. Um, And I set some expectations around, you know, when you'll see me and where I'll be and the things that I'll be doing. But I made myself a priority. And I think it was probably the first time in my life uh, that I've really put myself first. Uh, And it was, you know, a sad thing, I think, when you think about it, like how you can be on such a a grind that you forget about yourself. Uh, But it was an amazing experience because I realized that, you know, I just kind of just started ignoring myself at some point and started just performing. And I didn't want, I don't want a life that's like that. It's not good for me, but it's also not great for my family as well. So it's an important thing. I think it's, you either do it that way or you can have a nervous breakdown and crash and burn. (laughs) So it's a more proactive, healthy way of, of rediscovering yourself. Absolutely. What do you think most freed you up to be able to to say, all right, I need to step back and not only do I need to do it, I am going to do it. Because I feel like in that moment is something a lot of women listening could be really empowered by. Do you remember yeah. that moment? I do. I remember it um, vividly. At the first, I, I made the decision. I think it's the first step is to decide that that's what you're going to do. Um, and I think the second step is more reality check. Okay, so this is what I want to do. Realistically, how is this going to impact my responsibilities and the things that I'm connected to? And that's sort of a period of time where you're you really you you may be winding down some things. Uh, so I actually started winding down some projects that I knew that I would was not going to continue with that I would not be taking on anymore. Uh, but I put those people in great care with other people that wanted to take on those kind of projects. So I spent some time like reallocating things to other people and winding down things. I set a date uh, so that I knew when I was going to start. Um, so depending on your resources and what you have available to you, you may not be able to just wake up and say, yeah, I'm just going to do a sabbatical and I'm going to start tomorrow. It could be, you know, this summer I want to travel. I want to spend some time to myself. And so it's planning. That's when the type A stuff really is very useful. <laughs> Being yeah. a type A person, 
because you start to plan it and you think about, okay, if I'm going to be traveling, that means I'm going to need some money uh, or that means I'm going to need some time and some space. Where am I going to get? And you get creative and it becomes very fun. And you say, okay, I can make, I can earn a living doing this while I'm, while I'm doing that. And I'll take the money from this and do this. And maybe I don't do this other thing anymore because it costs me money. I'm actually losing money with this thing. So maybe I just quit. So there's some things that, you know, you have to step up and do like stop doing things that don't work well for you. And there's a process that you have to go through where you're confronting these things that don't serve you very well. This doesn't serve me well. I'm going to stop that. And it's really a gradual process. It's not like a flip the light switch. It it was a gradual thing for me. So probably for six months, I would say the year before I started my my working sabbatical, I spent about six months just paring down uh, my responsibilities. And I had taken on a lot. I was on a lot of boards um, that really do great work, but were not completely aligned with, with the work that I wanted to do. Um, and were also very time consuming. Uh, I was, you know, working on a lot of different things. I had, a, I had a lot of staff working all over and I had just lost myself in that whole process. So I decided, you know, this is what's making the money, what pays the bills and something that I can manage. And that's what I stuck with. Uh, was that I'm going to continue to do that because realistically I have the bills to pay and I need to continue to earn a living. Um, but I can also find some space in my life uh, to reconnect with myself. And so that'll mean something different for everyone. For me, it was, you know, I think I hit five countries last year uh, and some of those trips were work related. So with some of those trips, I got paid to do some things while I was there um, and I stayed a little longer so that I can explore and play and have fun. So you just have to get creative with it and figure out how to do it in a way that doesn't hurt you uh, financially uh, and doesn't hurt people that you're responsible for, because that is important. Got it. So what I'm hearing in a big picture sort of way was you gave yourself this runway of about six months to really start analyzing what's going on, kind of looking at your own life in a new and interesting way. And then what I'm hearing is initially you were like, okay, money needs to be coming in. I have myself to take care of. I have my staff to take care of. Yeah. So like you started by looking at the business and looking go it sounds like going project by project and it's like is this the right project for yeah. me and the company and then matching the resources to it. So that sounds exactly. like just doing that matching and kind of going through that list. Yeah. Then you know, I've heard you kind of mention what I like to call internal homework, like having to do your internal homework. I guess one of the questions that comes to mind, and maybe maybe you can talk about what the process looked like for you, because it is it it's big and it's different and it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But how did you begin to figure out what you needed to let go of? Because I'm hearing, like for example, and I've I've had to step back from a board or two in my life. And not because I didn't think what they were doing was so important and impactful, but it just was making me be really off kilter and out of balance and overstretched. When you started looking at these things that weren't strictly like work and projects and like metric kind of base things, how did you start breaking those down? So I looked at it from a a few 
you have to take a 360 degree view of, of things like this. So I started with, you know, why did I get involved with this in the first place? <laughs> like, what was my state of mind when I when I took on this project or when I signed up to serve in this way? Uh, what was I trying to offer uh, to this particular thing? So with some, some things, it's very clear, like, you know, they hired us to do this and this is what we're doing. Um, with service, it may not be as clear. It could be that, you know, someone you're close to asked you to volunteer and you said yes. And then you ended up in a situation where you're spending 10 hours a week on a thing that you didn't plan to spend 10 hours a week on. So, you know, I looked at really what was my initial intent um, and am I serving that well? Like, is that actually happening? So am I making a difference? Am I adding value to this situation at all? So I think that's a real, that requires some self-awareness. Like, is my involvement in this helpful? Um, then secondly, how does this impact my life and other things that I want to do? So with, you know, with many things, it was a time thing. Like, you know, this is a great thing. I like the people. I think they're doing great things. But in order for me to continue to be involved in this, I'm going to have to get 20 hours a week to this if I'm going to be effective in the way that they want me to be effective. And if I can't meet that metric, it's an easy no for me. It's, you know, I would love to, but I'm not going to be able to offer you what you're asking for. With board service, it's kind of tricky because people never ask you to serve on a board and say, hey, it's going to take like 10 to 15 hours a week. <laughs> when people invite you to boards, it's really like we really want you to join us and to help. And there's never really a time metric. You really don't know sometimes how much effort it takes. And everything you say yes to has some responsibility associated with it, particularly if you're type A like me. Like when I say yes to things, I take responsibility for them. It's these are things that keep me up at night if they're not going well. And so I really went through the list. I'm like, OK, what's keeping me up at night and how does this add any value to me or to the other person or, or or entity. And if there's no value there, because sometimes you're doing things because, you know, someone hired you to do it, someone invited you to do it, and you're doing it because of that reason, that reason alone. But at some point, it's just not working well. It, it could be a project that's, you know, over budget, <laughs> you know, like maybe you're working for free at some point. It could be, you know, a board uh, uh, position that just really requires a lot of time. So it's resource utilization is really that exercise is really looking at your resources. Uh, you're looking at your time. Uh, you're looking at the people that you're connected to. You're taking stock of yourself physically um, and how all of these resources are impacted by this engagement. And then you decide whether or not it's working. Um, and if it's not, you can make a shift or an adjustment to make it work better, or you can just stop doing it. And I think it really depends on the situation um, and what you're trying to accomplish. But if it's a thing that keeps you up at night and when people call and email, you hate their emails and you don't want to see their name on your phone. <laughs> I think with that, that's an easy. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, it's funny. We we discount, especially as process driven data collecting, observing, analyzing women. I know for me, like, one of the most challenging things, but the thing that has served me well is to learn how to balance all of that information, but then also the fact that we have intuition, right? Like, what you are what you just described is sort of also like, well, there's all of this data and says that you know, this was a good reason for me to take this position on a board. This is the fulfillment I'm getting. This is the value I'm bringing them. Like, 
you know, doing all that analysis, but then going into your inbox and just having this like deep <laughs> desire driven, like get this person out of my inbox. It's a gut feeling like, it, you know, it's a gut feeling when you see the name on your phone or the email <laughs> comes in the inbox and you can feel it in your body language like you tense up. My husband used to be able to see it like if we were like traveling and he's driving and he would be like, wait a minute, something happened. Did you what, what just happened? I'm like, yeah, I just checked my inbox. This blah, blah, blah. Just email me. And you can feel it like the energy changes. It like crackles so those, in the car. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. It got cold in here all of a sudden. So that's the type of thing like those types of things are to me like you can analyze to the cow com- comes home. But if, if you're feeling like that when these things come into your space, then it's probably a, an easy no or at least not right now. So maybe it's a flat out, no, I shouldn't be in this situation at all. Or it could be, you know, this may not be the best thing for me to be doing right now based on what they need and based on where I am. Maybe we're misaligned and I need to step away from that. And you have to really give yourself permission to do that. And it requires a lot of work if you're the type of person that needs to be validated by people because quitting things and and reallocating resources and sort of stopping doing the things that you used to do is going to cause people to say, why would you do that? No. Why are you making this decision? And that's a, that's an invalidation for a lot of people. They don't want to be invalidated. So a lot of folks don't act on that instinct because they don't want to have that conversation following that. Like, why would you stop this? Or where are you going? (laughs) Why are you not going to serve? And no, it's not like that. And you have to really deal with that conversation. You have to care enough about this mission of recovery and reconnecting with yourself that you put yourself first. And, and, and really it's a, this is not a good time thing for most things. Um, and I think that's it, you know, just, just do it. Honestly, it's just a thing that you have to do. Um, but you do have to keep in mind the things that you need to, to eat. Uh, and so that's, that's something that you have to deal with at the beginning of that process. I think you bringing up this point of validation, and I loved earlier in our conversation, you kind of equated validation as sort of, I'm going to say like comfort soul food or soul comfort food (laughs) in a way. Yeah, it's comforting. (laughs) You know, it is really, first, at least what I witness in the work that I do, it's really hard for women to say no, even to taking it on. But I think what you're bringing up where you get to a point and you figure out like my capacity right now for whatever reason whether it's shingles or whether it's exhaustion or whether it's just deep dissatisfaction in life to not it feels really kind of reckless and irresponsible to then have to say like no I can't handle this responsibility for you anymore and you're right about all the voices coming at you because there's enough mm-hmm. there's enough in what I call the itty bitty shitty committee that we have in our own heads <laughs> that are like that. the crazy British House of Parliament, like banging gavels and yelling stuff. And Oh, God, it's crazy. It's like the movie. Um, what's the movie with the cartoons and the feelings like the anger and joy and they're kind of sitting inside of your head It's really that. I totally know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. I can't think of the name of that movie to save my life, but that's one of my favorite movies. I can't think of it, but that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. So it's actual people, but it's internal. Yeah. So you, Mm -hmm. you have all these internal voices 
But then it sounds like you had the experience of having a lot of external voices that were questioning, like, are you okay? Is this the right decision? (laughs) Are you sure this isn't a mistake? How? I I feel like one of the things that comes up with, I would say, probably like 70% of the podcast guests is, is mentioning how much other people's opinions affect them and how they would like to see the world be different in that way. I guess, did your skin get thicker and how did you, how did you do that or what allowed for that to happen? So yeah, my skin, it, it got thicker, but in a different way. So I, I would always have, you know, I would classify myself as a strong person. And what I realized is that I was more of a stubborn person. So, you know, words, you know, mean (laughs) things. And I think I was using the wrong word, uh, which I I can be very stubborn. So I I, I can like stand firm on a thing just because, you know, you're not going to tell me. Um, And so I realized that, you know, strength was something a little bit different and it's not always aggressive. And for me, strength meant like an aggressive pushback. Like if, you, if you're going to make try to make me do something I don't want to do, I'm going to aggressively push back. Um, like now it's really different. Strength for me is really putting myself first. And you can do that in a very kind way. It doesn't have to be an argument um, or any sort of combative conversation. It's really just putting yourself first, um, putting the things that matter to you first. It's all about that. And so when you're having these conversations with people about, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to serve in this particular way, um, they could say, hey, I think that's a stupid idea, you know, really. And it, you know, it's it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything to you because it's not about that. It's really about you creating a life that serves you well, but also putting yourself in a position to serve well. And you're not serving well if you're not taking care of yourself. Uh, you're just not. That's not a great relationship to be in. So if you're in any sort of arrangement, any connection with whether it's a board or a person or staff, if that particular relationship is harming you, it is not a good thing. And so you have to restructure these relationships so that they're uh, mutually beneficial uh, and transparent in, in what you're trying to accomplish. You want to be transparent about the mission and what you're trying to accomplish together um, and to make sure that both parties are being served well. So I always find that when people push back and say, no, I don't think you should make that decision. You should continue to do the thing that makes you miserable. That's what I hear in my head. And <laughs> and for me, I just ignore that. <laughs> I really do. I just ignore that. Um, but one of the things I do, uh, because I am a compassionate and empathetic person is I don't like to put people in a position that like, I, I wouldn't leave an engagement and put someone in a position that would, um, be detrimental to their ability to move forward. So one of the things that I did was particularly around work. If there were projects that were sort of misaligned with our mission and things that we were just kind of doing um, that were not uh, aligned with the core of what we we're trying to do, I actually uh, had a list of really super people that I knew would take very good care of those projects. And I would when I have the conversation about winding down a project, I always give a person a list of places to proceed. I think this person is really great for what you need. Um, and if you would like to feel free to give them a call. And so I'm always willing to do that in that situation if it's necessary. With some with some engagements, though, it, that is not even necessary. With some things, you just should stop doing them and don't look back, you know, just completely stop and don't look back and don't give it any more energy. So I think you have to really 
way when that's needed, that extra care is needed in some situations and other situations is not needed at all. You just need to make a decision and stop doing things that harm you. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that goes back to earlier in our conversation, like it's so easy to be on that autopilot, right? Like yeah. Stockholm syndrome exists for a reason, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, yeah, it does. And, and so I want to ask, I guess there's a couple questions and a couple different tracks. You know, I'm hearing that when you have stepped back from roles, like you've really, in a lot of cases, made a, a conscious effort to like find your replacement, make recommendations, that kind of thing. Were the conversations that you had, I mean, did you have any of those like nightmarish conversations that we build up in our head, right? Like the you know, the example you used where it's like, yeah, you should keep doing this thing that you feel awful doing because I need you to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It's never like it is in your head. Like most people <laughs> understand completely. Uh, and it's really interesting. Some people are willing to say, so what do, you, what do you have going on now? Let me know I can help. Some people are even supportive uh, and, and whatever you do next. And what's interesting is a lot of the conversations in our head all of them are just false. <laughs> it's like <laughs> fake news. Like it, it's going on in your head all day. You have these scenarios and scripts playing about what a person is going to say when you say this thing or how this thing is going to play out. And none of that played out. And I actually quit a lot of things. And at the end of it all, by, you know, all metrics, like the quantitative stuff that we look at, like money and how much, you know, revenues you have, nothing changed. The only thing that I did was I stopped doing things that harmed me. Like literally nothing changed. I didn't have a, my revenues didn't plummet. Like I, I literally made like almost the same amount. And that was because I didn't take on new work. So I maintained the revenue level. I had projects that we were like, I things that I was doing like hustling on that added absolutely no value in that, in that area. It just kept me busy and distracted a lot and stressed out. In some in some cases, like really working hard on things that are break even projects. Some of them are in the red they're losing money. And you just like doing things just because that's the thing you think you should be doing. I think the we don't we don't honor the, the power of quitting enough. Sometimes you just have to quit. Like you have to know when to quit. Just stop. And you have to know that that's a valued uh, it's a valued activity. Quitting has value. When you quit, you win time and energy like if you're quitting the right things you should get a gain in energy it frees you up from an energy perspective and you should also have the more space to really do things that actually work and so this whole exercise is really about creating more space in your life for the things that work and just to quit doing the things that don't work and i think a lot of people think quitting means i'm going to suffer people are going to be hollow you know they're going to yell at me and you know i'm never <laughs> going to make another me. dime i'm going to be i'm going to go homeless and you know all these things are going to happen and you know and i realized I, I also and i failed to mention one of the most important things is support systems and i have a, a wonderful support system my husband uh we're fortunate that our parents uh we live near our parents so i my in-laws live in town uh with me and my parents aren't far away and so from a like a family support perspective i have some of the best people around me and they were amazing like and you know during the the whole recovery phase some of my travels took me away from my house for like a week or you know a week here a week there and you know my husband works uh he's a hard worker 
And our people were really great at helping us uh, during that transition because there is a transition. So I think linking up with at least one person, you know, if you're single, a friend or whomever, someone that you really connect to um, that can help you identify ways that you can be supported uh, during the transition because transition is work, um, but it's very rewarding. Yes. I mean, my whole career is based on moving something from A to B, right? Whether it was bankruptcy, like a bankruptcy case where I often worked for debtors, it was like, okay, a complete chaotic public shit show, let's be honest, to like a stable company that now what do we do with this? And then, you know, in the startup life, you know what that's like. And so just Mm -hmm. even being a controller in an early stage startup, it was never just about like, oh, we'll implement QuickBooks. It was like, (laughs) you know, what's going on here? Like you have a checkbook and a bank account. We got to figure some things out here. Um, You know, and then in this work, like it's, you know, it's all the same skill set. Now it's just bringing that chaos back together. But one of the things I hear in that, in what you were saying was you were also able to ask for help. And I know personally as a type A woman, like I feel like I will be like crawling across the floor, like towards a (laughs) glass of water when I'm thirsty, instead of just saying, can you hand that to me sometimes? So I guess partially this question is personal. And then it's also something I think I attract in my work (laughs) because Uh that's my story too. Yeah. What freed you up there? Or is that something you've just always been comfortable with? Oh, no, I've never been comfortable with that. Uh, Asking for help is like one of those things. It makes you feel vulnerable uh, because it opens you up to like someone saying no. So there's a rejection component to it. Uh, (laughs) But it also, you know, you lose control because they may not help you in the way that you want to be helped. Uh, And so there's a whole thing about asking for help that I've never been comfortable with. Honestly, I learned how to ask for help because I've experienced burnout to the point that I just could not not to ask for help. Like I lost the ability to function. Like I burned out to that level where I'm just like sitting at home, like, oh my God, I can't even think straight. And I think I just hit such a low, honestly, that I didn't have a choice. Um, One of the things with type A personalities is sometimes that whole persona, we take it on, like, you know, we wear it like our favorite coat. Sometimes people, (laughs) other people also buy into it because you really create a persona that does not need to be helped and you could surround yourself with people that don't know how to help you because you're, you're the person that they call for help. And so that's kind of how my life was. It was structured that, you know, I was the person that everyone called for advice and for help. And, and, and people don't know how to help people like that because they perceive you as someone that never needs help. And I had reached a point where I'm like, why is no one helping me? And I realized it's because <laughs> people don't think I need help. And I'm like, okay, so I should start talking a little bit more about what it is I'm thinking about and experiencing in the areas that I need support um, so that people understand that I'm not some robotic person that is perfect. And, and I don't think people think that we're perfect, but that you're just a person that will figure it out eventually. Um, I think that's, you know, it's good for validation, but it's, again, it creates an energy around you that people don't help people that don't seem like they need help. So what I did in that situation is, you know, I'd started opening up more about like some of the things, some of the areas that I need support in. And I, you know, I would 
phrase it that way. You know, right now I really need some support with this particular thing. And the reason why I phrase it that way is I want to give the person the license to not be the person that can help me. Maybe they don't, maybe they're not the person that can help, but since I've clarified where I need help, they may know someone that can. And so I just announce it, you know, yeah, I would, I really need some support in this area. And what has happened is people are like, okay, I think I know a person. Would you like me to call? Or would you like me to make an introduction? Or do you need me to go with you? And it really, it opens people up to learning how to best help you. Uh, and that way you're not crawling around like, oh my God, you know, you've burned out to a point that they're just looking at you like, I think you need help. Do you need help? Uh, you don't want to get to that point. So I've, I've learned, you know, just through experience and just, again, burnout has taught me a lot. Um, it taught me a lot about, you know, the whole maintenance of life and, and just being the kind of person that can articulate where I need support. And if I'm doing that on a regular basis, then I should not, and surrounding myself with the best, with good people, uh, I shouldn't get to a point that I have to crawl around and, and announce that I'm in trouble. This is so brilliant. And I think you're... Your phrasing is something I want to really shine a flashlight on and, and hold up for people to see. It's brilliant in that you also give the person an out, right? Like yeah. it doesn't force them to take on stuff. Because one thing I noticed when I have experienced burnout in my life, and I, I feel like there's so many parallels in our story and how you just described it. I think initially people didn't know how to help because they were trembling in a corner where they were like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, Kara's <laughs> who we go to. Like, she's yeah. bionic. She holds the weight yeah, of the yeah. world on on her shoulders awesome. most days. Yeah. So, like, holy crap. I think initially there was, like, you know, as I started to tell people, and for me it was it was also, like, physical burnout. Like, for me it was debilitating irritable bowel syndrome and like i can't stress the irritable in that that name more and so like when i finally started sharing a little bit about like some of the struggles of just kind of you know what it feels like to have to triangulate where the nearest bathroom is at every single moment and like your schedule like (laughs) functioning around that you know like i can't make it to work today i'm having stomach troubles when the reality was i can't stop pooping long enough to take the subway from my house to the to the office I know. like the whole day is centered around your poop schedule exactly <laughs> and so it's like when i started talking to even just like close friends and family like they were shocked i i, I wasn't made out of teflon right they were like what you are an indestructible force of nature so <laughs> But I love how you then, how this has caused this shift for you to be able to articulate these things before it gets to that place again, right? Like, so not only are you monitoring, you know, how how well your sweater's fitting and like, know, and right? how like, tired you're feeling and, but also kind of monitoring, like, is it time for me to ask for help? You know, another thing that's important is, you know, when you're looking at your environment, is, you know, really carefully looking at people. Um, so we were talking earlier about the importance of people. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we're, we're so connected to things, you know, the internet and the things that we accumulate in our work that we've lost the ability to really connect with people. And one of the things I've learned is just the importance of being connected to people. So if you're in a situation where you need help and there are no people around you to help you, then that, you know, we have to take responsibility for that. 
it's your job to to meet people <laughs> and to find good people to surround yourself with. And I think it's like an ongoing thing that we should be doing uh, is really making sure that we have the right people around us, um, but to also, you know, be looking at how to make those relationships better um, because it's not perfect. You know, everyone has their own quirks and, and things and relationships are work, uh, but making sure that you have good relationships because you do want to be able to say something like, I would really love some support in this area and have people around that hear that. Um, and that care about you. Uh, and so it's not a situation where you want people around that, you know, you can use when you need them. It's more of a, having a person that says, okay, I hear what you're saying. Try this. And so they may not help you, but they may point you in the right direction. Um, there may be others that can help you directly. Um, if you have enough uh, of the right kinds of people, then it should work very well. But it's it's not a flip of a switch. It just requires connection uh, on an ongoing basis. And, and that's the that's hard work. Um, but it's it's rewarding because you don't burn out. I couldn't agree more with you saying that's hard work because I feel it's hard work. I feel like people, I don't know about you, but in my world, even just trying to get two or three of my girlfriends together, sometimes even if it's just for dinner, sometimes requires like five or six sure. weeks notice. Yeah, it's like an event planning scenario. Uh, if you have more than two people, because we're all so busy. Uh, if there's more than two people to pull together, it's like you need an event planner to figure out yes. when everyone can meet. Uh, one of the things that I've done uh, with one of my one of my friends, one of my girlfriends, we have a standing uh, meeting, and it doesn't always work every week. Um, but we've carved out. It's like a Thursday thing we do. Um, is we go for a little happy hour. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time, but we invite, you know, our other friends when we can. But that's a place that we know that we'll be at on a regular basis. Um, for some people, it's a monthly thing. It depends on your schedule. We just happen to live near each other. Um, that's been something that we've been doing for like a year and a half. And it's it's a time and a space to sort of have an outlet to talk about, you know, your life and what you're doing and to hear about their life and what they're doing. I think to some degree, we just have to make time for it. We have to make time. And so I actually made time for it, but I also had to make some arrangements to make that happen. So it's not something I can do every week. Uh, but on most weeks, I have arrangements for my kids. And, you know, I've thought about dinner on that night. And so, again, it's work because you have to coordinate some things. But I think to some degree, we just have to make it more of a priority than we do. So what I'm hearing is both of you need to make it a priority and say, I am Everyone. going to work backwards and do the things that I need to do, like make sure my kids have dinner, even if I'm out <laughs> yeah. having a drink. <laughs> if, you know, I don't want to be sitting at a bar and my kids are like at home, like mommy didn't leave food. Like you want to make sure people are, <laughs> you want to be trifling. So, you know, some of the self-work, like it's, it's not that you want to just like remove yourself from your responsibilities and just let the ball drop. Um, I think, you know, we do have to take care of certain things. There's some things we don't have to take on. So we have to know what we're taking on, what we're actually responsible for. And the work is just making sure that you're taking care of your responsibilities and then you put yourself first. And, you know, meeting up with someone to do happy hour and to talk and laugh is something that we don't value as much as we do because we're so focused on world domination um, <laughs> that laughter is not in that script. There's no laughter in world domination. So you don't really think about that time that you need to spend laughing and talking about other shit. And a lot of times things come up during those conversations 
conversations that actually add to your work. Um, I found that it's always something you meet a person or someone says a thing and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to apply that at work. I'm going to try that next time I do this. So things always come up. Uh, You learn so much more when you connect it to people. Oh, my God. Yes. What I've been talking about a lot in terms of public speaking, I've been hosting a lot of these craft working events where Mm -hmm. I bring women together and instead of it like being business card and networking, it's let's sit down and do this really brainless, super simple craft activity. Literally, it's like making envelopes from magazines, you know, tracing and cutting. And I, it's funny because as bringing it in as part of my business, it's really difficult to get women to say yes to show up and do something that they sort of deem as frivolous, but the results, <laughs> yeah, like thing. Yeah. but the results after the fact are really mind blowing. And if you go into the research and you probably know this from your world and just like having an interest in play and creativity and how teams function, you know, like stepping back, like you say, whether it's a conversation with friends whether it's doing this activity like crafting that just gets us out of our work and puts us into a flow state, that's where yeah. all the good stuff happens. And then, like, you know, in terms of craft working, it's also forcing other women to get together in a human way. And what's yeah. been really interesting to me, because I've been sort of, you know, doing the alpha beta testing, right? Like, how does this compare to a traditional networking event? And I think I've been trying to engineer it as like this is the networking event i want to hang out at and i'm guessing other women will join me but it's been interesting too because how women are connecting right like you start doing when you take your business card and you take your phone out of your hand and put them away and Mm -hmm. you just are like crafting like i find the conversations are so different where instead of women just thinking like how can i position my services or my business or whatever (laughs) yeah they're like oh my god i i used to make potholders when i was in fourth grade like i loved that that's been the last time i've crafted and then like you see the stories and the the humanity come out of people so differently and Mm -hmm. i know every time i've left it has so informed my work or you know made me think of an idea differently or have a different context or or meaning to something it's Mm -hmm. been amazing like i i can totally understand the value you get just by going to have a drink but to people you know on the the task list of like world domination being number Mm -hmm. one like it's really hard to find other women out in the world that are open to that yeah. Yeah. I think culturally we've we've created it, it's interesting because, you know, they, we do this in kindergarten. I have a six year old and he's in first grade now. But in, in his kindergarten class, like kids naturally do that. Like when it's time to play, they, they find the center <laughs> that interests them the most and they go sit next to the kid that is intriguing to them and they like playing with and they play. And it, it, you know, and then at first grade, second grade, you know, we've somehow we've decided no more playing. 
Like, you know, you like you tell the kindergartners, this is the last time you get recess. You need to enjoy this moment because first grade, you know, is going to be like you got to hit the ground running. You got to learn how to read and math and you stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time you get to high school and college, it's like, OK, forget no more playtime. Yeah, forget it. Playtime is over. So I think adults need to play a lot more than we do. Um, and I think doing it regularly creates very healthy play environments and it can impact your work, but it's really just enjoying life. It's learning how to be happy. Uh, I think if you're happy, you do better work. So whatever that requires, you can do that. Some people are happy working and that's fine too. Uh, you know, as long as it serves you well and it's serving the people that you're connected to well, I think that's fine too. It's just really identifying what works for you. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about so much in your story that is, I think, going to be hugely inspiring and impactful to people listening. And listeners, if you loved what she had to say, let her know. Hit her up on social media. Tell her she's awesome. <laughs> Validate. 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 Give her her, yeah. <laughs> give her, her, her soul-filled comfort food. <laughs> That's the kind that doesn't make me outgrow my sweater. <laughs> but I, I think, like, we've heard so much about your experience as a, as a woman, And I guess I want to switch to some other questions about being a modern woman. How do you define being a modern woman? Hmm. I think it's about freedom. Like, I think a lot of things are about freedom. Uh, It's really being uh, aware, self-aware and free uh, to lean into the areas of life that you want to impact. Um, So one of the things that I want to be as a modern woman is a woman that can really lean into my impulses and not unhealthy impulses. But, you know, if I feel that I want to serve or create something, I want to be able to do that. And I feel like that's what a modern woman is, is a woman that has the ability to find, identify, obtain the resources necessary to really lean into what it is that she wants to do um, and really structuring your life so that you're able to do that. Awesome. Yeah. What would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Other women. In what way? Really? Um, So I think uh, we don't, we don't care enough. Honestly, I, I feel, you know, sort of the, you know, as I'm reading the news and looking at our interactions, things seem to have to the shit has to hit the fan for people to care. Uh, and so people kind of get outraged. You like we have these like really highs and lows, like we're either indifferent about women and the state of women or we're extremely or off angry. the chain. <laughs> <laughs> we're off the chain, angry and marching in the streets. I feel like women could care a lot more about each other on a more regular basis. Um, so really like looking in terms of connecting to other women and figuring out ways to support each other, you know, on a regular basis before the shit hits the fan, like just, you know, lifting up your sister that's trying to do whatever, helping out in this area, volunteering. If you really care about, you know, any issue, uh, you know, education, domestic violence, you know, really integrating that into your life so that your care for other women or other people or whatever it is that you care about, that you really integrate that into your life and make that a part of your work. So for for me, I care a lot about children. 
Um, and I really care a lot about young black women. And so my board service is structured so that I'm serving in that capacity. Uh, I serve on a board that serves uh, foster children uh, and a board that does education for uh, African girls and women. And I do that because these are the things that I care about. So I think that I would like to see women really lean into the things that they care about and figure out a way to care on a more regular basis. Oh, yes. More of that in the world, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the outrage on social media, I think, is just wearing us all down. But it's sort of it's un it's, yeah, like, it's a good thing, but it's unhealthy too to really like take in that energy on such a consistent basis. Um, it, but I think it's because we haven't cared enough. Yes. As often enough. <laughs> so you get to this point where you're just like, it's like, you know, it's like marriage or any other relationship. If you suppress and repress your feelings, you do get to a point where you're like, I can't stand you. And it seems like it comes <laughs> out of nowhere. Like, it's like, what? What are you talking about? Like, and you know, you've been holding this thing in for so long. So I think we need to be more healthy about caring about the things that we care about. And recognizing there's so many places on the spectrum, I think... You know, one of the things I've struggled with since number 45 got elected, and I think Mm -hmm. that's when a lot of people's outrage just kind of went up a few notches, you know, finding that balance with it. Like, there are so many ways to serve and serve other women. Like, we, like, yes, there are marches. Yes, there's disseminating information on Facebook. There's outrage. There's, you know, there's getting involved, but it's also just like, don't yell at your barista in the morning, right? Like <laughs> the little things, yeah, like, it's the little things. Yeah, don't, 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 don't flip people to bird and traffic, and, you know, <laughs> little things, you know. Like the whole tenor of the universe can change if we just start even the small steps. <laughs> the really, the stuff that happens on a daily, the things that people don't see. You know, really, just really behaving in a way that when there are no cameras and you're not announcing things on social media that you care on a regular basis. You know, if someone were to spy on your life, that they would see that you care and they could see what you care about. Um, So I would like to see women really connect to something that they care about that is not, you know, you should care about yourself, but something outside of yourself that you really care about and finding a way to do some some work in that area on a more regular basis um, and not waiting until like the shit has hit the fan and you have to go protest and take a trip to D.C. and stand out on the lawn. Like, good grief, you know, it's a lot of work, you know, since 45 came on board. We're like, we're going to have, we're going to need vacation time just to protest and do things. (laughs) And call, we have to call a lot up there. (laughs) I've never made so many outgoing phone calls in my life as I have this year. So many calls, so many calls and emails and it's so intense, you know, and it's because we haven't been doing our work, you know, now we're having to make up for lost time. (laughs) So I want to flip this question around on the... On the flip side, what would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? What other people think, honestly, the validation thing is a killer. Um, So I think that, you know, you should be self-aware and know that if your actions are hurting other people, I think that's important. But just to live so much for the validation of others, I think is harmful. 
And it puts us in a position uh, on a road to burnout. Honestly, that's that is the road to burnout. It's how to buy Uh, a ticket. Certainly. It's how to buy a a ticket to burnout. So I would like to see less of that, Uh, more, more authenticity uh, and being able to be vulnerable uh, to your authenticity and, and less, you know, less caring about what other people think about that. Well said. And I want to thank you for sharing some really specific, but I think powerful ways to do that. I mean, just your point about how you ask for support. Brilliant. And I think I, I think it's something that people can, can take from this conversation and implement immediately to make their life easier. So thank you for that. And who is a woman that you'd like to thank or credit for their contribution to either your life or the world in general? There's so many. Uh, Gosh, there's so many. Um, You know, my mom, I think, is, you know, I speak speak to my mom a lot. And, you know, I'm aware and I'm I'm grateful for her because I'm aware that there are people that, for whatever reason, are unable to speak to their moms. Um, Having, you know, a mother that has some historical perspective on who you are and is available to talk to you is is. A, a miracle, I think, and a blessing because people, you know, we've had, we have a society where people easily grow apart. Um, they move away and you disconnect and I don't have that. So I really appreciate her. Um, and along the mom track, all the moms, like my mother-in-law uh, has been a super mom for us and our kids and my mom as well. And so I think they are really a good example of really owning the the label mom uh, because they they take it on as, you know, it, it's something that they just do. And I, I see them do it very naturally, uh, take care of other people. So I, I'm really grateful to them. They, they're my model that I look at in terms of mothering. Um, you know, and ter- my friends, you know, I have great friends. I mentioned my friend uh, that I meet up with on Thursdays for happy hour. Sherelle Bates is one of my good friends and she's really special to me. She's a really smart woman. Uh, and I've gotten some great ideas just for life and business, just in talking to her. And, you know, I just have really good people around me. Um, I have great people in my network. Uh, I work with, um, I serve on Dr. Unoma, uh, a core force board. Uh, she's the founder of the WOW Foundation, and she's a woman in business that I look up to a lot. There are a lot of women uh, that inspire me. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. It. And a lot of them people don't know, you know, because I can mention Oprah, because, of course, everyone loves Oprah. <laughs> the deity known um, as Oprah. Yeah, I think I'm the only black woman. Like when people say, well, who do you want to be? I'm the only one that wouldn't say Oprah. I actually want to be Richard Branson. But <laughs> Oprah I love Oprah a lot. And so, you know, Oprah is someone, Ava, uh, you know, all of the the greats, you know, of course I follow them. Uh, But the women that have an impact on me are women that I talk to and see on a day-to-day basis. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) And what do you most want LeVital Core Salon listeners to know? Hmm. I think uh, the thing, I I talk a lot about thinking. Uh, I would love them to know the importance of finding the space to think, not overthink. Uh, People confuse thinking with overthinking. (laughs) I do have the capacity to do that as well. Um, Not overthinking, (laughs) reflection. Um, I I would really love people to know the power of reflection, really finding a way to take a step back and look at your life, like from a 30,000 foot level, uh, just to see 
like what your life looks like outside. Because when you're in the weeds with your life, it's kind of hard to see the forest for the trees. And yes. so really find a vacations work for that. Get Somehow you have to break out of your environment, get out of your, your day-to-day routine and find a way to really take a huge step back and look at your life from the perspective of someone that doesn't know you from a can of paint. And and really see, you know, determine whether or not you that's the reflection you want to have in the world. And if you don't like what you see, then change it. And so that's what I would really like people to know is to really take that time to reflect and change anything you don't like. That is so brilliant. And I, I think back to the opening minutes where my tail was wagging when I heard you say that you like making thinking sexy again. <laughs> Yeah, that's my mission. <laughs> Are there any tools or or resources that have been profoundly helpful for you to learn how to do that? There are lots of them. Um, I have a resource page on my, my Big Thinking project. It's on bigthinking.io. Um, I mention a lot of them there. Um, the uh, There are a lot of resources. And honestly, a lot of them have nothing to do with technology. Um, I really enjoy watching artists create. Uh, that's the thing that inspires me. So a lot of the things that I follow would be classified as art or science. Um, I, I look at PBS and some of their work and NPR and anything that just makes me think. Uh, so those re- things that make me think are what I use as resources to really think a thing through. I get interested in a certain topic or a certain uh, angle, and I just start to explore that. And there are millions of resources out there for doing that. Um, I have a resource page on the bigthinking.io page. I would encourage people to look at that. Um, some of the resources, you know, you have to find resources that speak to you. Some of them can be kind of academic in nature. And I think sometimes we we kill people with words. Uh, We want to sound so smart that we just start using every syllable we can find. Uh, I tend to to like to read things that are in plain, uh, plain language. And so uh, you can check out that blog. Most of the things I'll suggest are things that can be easily consumed uh, and easily uh, understood. Um, But anything that makes you think, like when you engage with that content and it makes you think. I look at documentaries a lot. Mm. Um, I have list of Netflix documentaries that make me think um, everything from the, the latest one on Bitcoins and their things on the um, evolution of gaming. All these things make me think about like the state of the world and how we got to where we are. So I would just say be curious. Um, you can yes. start on the big thing IO website, but anything that kind of like any sentence that pops out and you're like, what did that mean? Just be curious and just go explore. Find Find the thing that works for you. Yes, my tail's wagging again. <laughs> and I love that you, I, I, I'm hoping I got his name right. You you take like the, is it Richard Fenneman? The the gentleman who's all about like, if you can explain something to a six-year-old, like a six-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I think you've succeeded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you can do more of that. Yeah, like really like not, because I mean, I read studies about how the body's working and what stress does to our bodies and creativity and how it links to our nervous system and things like that. And yeah, like sometimes I'm like, wow, there's like 18 pages in this study when (laughs) the the only thing someone cares is about like the two sentences in the intro. (laughs) 
Yeah, but if you think about it, like we, we've gotten to such a place, like the validation thing, I, I think is such a, a killer uh, because I think we've gotten to a place where we have to be validated as being intelligent enough to articulate these things. And so I think to that degree, we, we kind of put ourselves, uh, we set ourselves up for failure because we, we try to sound intelligent and we use these words and it should really be about articulating yourself in a way that people understand you, not articulating yourself in a way that makes them tell you how smart you are. And so again, it goes back to like, what, what is the outcome? What is the value that I'm trying to add? Do I want people to understand this 18 page article? If I do, I'm probably going to shorten it and use some, <laughs> some words that people can understand and put the point at the beginning so that people don't have to be burdened with this long document. Um, you know, if it doesn't have to be 18 pages, why is it 18 pages? So these are the kind of things that I overthink about. Like, why is this like so long? But <laughs> so I think people should do that more often because you kind of find yourself when you when you allow yourself to think like that um, or to explore a thought that is not related to the kind of work that you do. And there's that freedom again, like that freedom, yeah, freedom. to be able to dive into those things and just even be curious. You know, you don't have to go to, down the rabbit hole for six hours, but like hey, I'm going to set a timer on my phone to give myself 10 minutes to ponder this thing that I keep thinking about that I read this morning while I ate breakfast. And that is actually freedom. And it also is a a sign that you've taken care of your your basic needs. Uh, so if we're thinking about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, the first stage is like, you know, air, oxygen, <laughs> like being able to breathe. You know, and then food, you get water, like shelter, food, water, shelter, you know, and then when you get beyond that and you're able to take care of yourself and pay some bills, like you get to a point where there's some freedom and being able to think. And if you're unable to think and reflect, then you may want to take a look at how well you're taking care of your basic needs, because some people really don't have time to think. They have some really critical things they're dealing with uh, in life. They're facing some really rough things and it, it really eliminate your ability to ponder and be curious and think because you're trying to survive. So taking care of your basic needs and making sure that you can survive is critical and key. Um, and then finding some time to, to be free to think. Yes. Making thinking sexy again. <laughs> exactly. Wee! And I, I, you have left my listeners with so much good stuff to think about. And me, I feel like this conversation is going to, I feel like I'm going to steep in it for a, a, at least a few days. I, there's so many really interesting nuggets here. And I am, I am so grateful that you donated your time to this podcast and, and opened yourself up in a way that we could really understand. Um, I'm going to have the link for Big Thinking IO. So listeners, don't worry about like it'll be in the show notes. You can just click over there and find all sorts of things that we talked about in the show notes. But Kishal, thank you so much for being here and and really lighting a spark of inspiration. You may have lost yours, but you found it and you shared it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. This was fun. Have a great day. <laughs> You too. Hey, hey, everyone. It's Kara. I wanted to sneak back in really quickly and say thank you. Thank you for making it this far. Thank you for listening. 
for those of you who are regulars. Thank you for coming back. Without you, I wouldn't have the drive and the motivation to keep producing this show because it's a lot of work and a lot of people help me and a lot of things have to come together for this show to make it to your headphones. So thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart. It's, it's so awesome to have you here hanging out in the salon. I want to remind everyone that all of the resources that we mentioned in this episode live in the show notes henceforth, and you can find those over at vitalcoursealon.com. New shows are going to roll out on the second and fourth Wednesdays of every month. And if you are experiencing the type of burnout that Kishaw and I have been discussing today, my twice-monthly newsletter offers really realistic ideas and tools for slowing down or even turning around burnout. And you can get that over at the website as well. So please sign up. I'd love to see you and love to connect with you a couple of times in your inbox every month. And you can find that over at vitalcoursealon.com as well. Anyways, before you get on with the rest of your day, I want to thank Craig Snyder, the producer. I want to thank Rishi Deer for writing the theme song, The High Dials for rocking it out, and Darlene Victoria for making so many parts of this podcast easier. They'll help make this show great. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout slow you down. See you next time.